Turn with your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Last week we talked about being real in your view of God and how that means to fear the Lord. And today we're talking about being real in your view of money. We, we use this term, be real, here. If you were here in our earlier years, this was a big theme in our church, to be real. Not to just uh, be a churchgoer or just be religious, but to be the real thing. To be real in regards to uh, how you love the Lord. And so that shaped a lot of the early planning and design of our church. Today it even shapes the way we're designing this building and things that we want to do. We don't want to just be religious, we want to be... We want to be real. And so uh, last week we looked at being real in your view of God and, and getting back to the fear of the Lord. And today we're looking at being real in your view of money. And if you have been here very long, uh, for those of you have, who've been here, uh, uh, let's say, two or three years, have you ever heard me preach a message on money? Raise your hand. You haven't. You, you really haven't, have you? I mean, I can't remember the last time I did. And I got really anxious this week. God put this on me. That's what I'm supposed to preach. I know it. But if you've been around very long, uh, I rarely preach on money. Uh, we're not taking up some special offering today. There's no, uh, you know, we got a lot of building left to do here, but we're not, uh, we're not going to debt for that by God's grace. And we're not planning on uh, doing anything uh, out of control financially here. Um, but so don't get scared. Uh, don't get quiet and uneasy about money because it is in the Bible. Let me just tell you about money in the Bible before I get started. If you talk about how many times things are used in the Bible, the word believe is used 140 times. The word love is used in the Bible 304 times. The word pray is used in the Bible 286 times. But the word give is used more than double than all those words. It is used 637 times. Uh, there are over 2,000 verses in the Bible on money. Scholars have declared that one out of 10 verses in the Bible deal with money. When Jesus taught, he, you remember he taught in parables, which means he told stories, and he told 38 par parables. 16 of those parables had to do with money. 25% of Jesus' teaching involved money. And Jesus did all this teaching on money uh, when he was here and on the earth. And I don't know of anywhere in Scripture where it says he took up an offering. Uh, think about that. He never asked for money. But what he knew and what he was teaching in all of these parables and all these verses about money that is that money is a reflection of your heart. Uh, our preacher when I was growing up, uh, when I got saved, started going to church where Cindy went, you know how that is, and uh, her preacher, I should say, but became my preacher, he, also, he used to always say, if I want to know where your heart is, let me see your checkbook, and I would know uh, where your money is going. And so we're going to look at 1 Timothy first real quickly, and then I'm going to close with several biblical principles about money. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, number 1 in your notes. Great gain is godliness and contentment. He says, now godliness with contentment is great gain. The word gain here is composed of two words. It literally means money getting. That's what it means. Money acquiring, you could say. And so acquiring money consists 
spiritually of these two things, godliness plus contentment. If you're godly and the person that you are, you're trying to live for the Lord, trying to honor the Lord, and then you have contentment, that is, that is an acquiring of great gain. And if you say very quickly, okay, what does contentment mean? Then look down at verse 8. Contentment, verse 8 says, and having food and clothing with these we shall be content. So it's just defined biblically that simple to have food to eat, clothing to wear, and, and to be happy with that would be contentment. Content, content people are thankful for whatever and everything that they have. We learned recently in our household to be content for two things, hot water, because our hot water heater went out for more than a week, and air condition, because our air conditioner froze up, and you know how that goes. It doesn't work for a day or two until you thaw it out and clean it and all that. So uh, we, we learned the next time I got a hot shower, I was praising God, you know, thank you, Lord, for this hot water. Uh, and the next time it was cool in our house, we were thankful for uh, cool air. And I was praising God even that he gave us complimentary difficulties. Do you get this? You had a hot house, but you also got a cold shower. So these, these problems were complimentary. So God even blessed us in that. But contentment is great gain along with godliness. Number two, you brought nothing, you take no nothing. Look at verse 7. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can take nothing out. So you were born with nothing. When you leave, you'll take nothing. You've, I'm sure you've heard the joke about the, the husband and wife. The husband had great wealth, and he told his wife he wanted, he wanted her to put all of his money in the casket when, when he passed away. He wanted to take it with him. And so on the casket day, death, and her, he's up there in the casket. She goes up there and slips an envelope into his casket. Her friends are saying, surely you didn't give him all his money. She says, I sure did. I wrote him a check for every dime. <laughs> he could do nothing with that. Some of you will get that later. <laughs> you brought nothing, you take nothing. Number three, he starts your conversation about those who want to get rich. They, they desire riches in verse 9, but those who desire to be rich... Then he tells you what will happen to them. They just want to be rich. First of all, they fall into temptation. And here it's going to use all these words under the context of falling. They have a great fall. They fall down into something. What do they fall into? Into temptation, a snare, and many foolish and harmful Lust. First of all, they fall into temptation. If they want to be rich, they're tempted to do things they know they shouldn't do. Uh, men like tempted to work instead of being home with your family on certain occasions. Uh, men like tempted to put making a dollar above being at your son's whatever ball game, something they want birthday, something like that. They desire to be rich, and so they're tempted to make the wrong choices, to make the wrong decisions. They also uh, fall into a snare. It, it is a word that means a trap. They fall into traps. They get stuck uh, where you promise somebody at work something, and you promise your family something, and all too often men would choose work over family. And so there's a trap there. You. You've given your word. Who are you going to break your word to? And I would encourage you, 
break your word to co-workers way before you break your word to your wife and your children. And so there's a trap in this desire to get rich. And they also fall into many foolish and harmful lusts. In other words, there's things, foolish means unintelligent. Uh, it's the opposite of wisdom. They fall into decisions that are harmful to them, hurtful to them, and, and even lustful. Desires, longings that are forbidden. That's what lust is. And so they're falling into this lifestyle that is of the world that has foolish and harmful lusts. So not only do they fall, men who want to be rich, they also drown. Look at verse 9, the end of it. They drown, drown men in destruction and perdition. So they fall into these foolish lusts and, and temptations, but then they drown. It's a picture of going underwater until you're dead. That's what drowning is, if you didn't know. They, they drown in destruction and perdition. Destruction is another word uh, translated in the Hebrew Bible as death or even punishment. Perdition means to have ruin or loss physically, spiritually, and eternally. To have ruin or loss physically, spiritually, and eternally. So these who desire to be rich, they go under the water. They... They, they suffocate and drown in a, in a life that's leading to death, and they're living for dead things. That's literally what it's saying. They're living for things that do not last and do not remain. Verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It doesn't say money is bad. Hear me today. Money is not stated to be bad. Money's a very useful tool in this world. It doesn't say it's wrong to make money. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible doesn't teach it's wrong to be rich. The Bible doesn't teach it's wrong to save money. The Bible doesn't teach it's wrong to invest money. I mean, we could go on and on. But what the Bible does teach is that the love of money is harmful. It says it's the root, uh, using uh, the terminology like a plant and its root. It is the, the corest, lowest Equivalent of all kinds of evil. It's where evil comes from, in other words. Evil comes out of loving money more than you love God. It goes on to say in verse 10, For which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness. Some people have walked away from church, walked away from the Lord because of their greediness. If they're, if they're loving money, there come a time when they have to choose love God or love money, and they... You can't do both. They would choose, some would walk away from the faith and choose to love money. And then it says in the end of verse 10, they have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. It's like stabbing yourself, pierced yourself. They have caused themselves many hurtful things, many sorrows. How? By, by loving money. They have hurt themselves. Uh, one of the, still today, one of the top three reasons of divorce in our country is financial issues. For a long time, it was number one, the number one reason. If you and your wife are here today and you're not getting along very well, for many of you, it may be money. It may be issues of finances. It, it's a sorry, sorrowful thing, this love of money. Uh, when we do marriage counseling, Cindy and I, before a couple gets married, we talk to them about their finances. We even, 
go over their finances. We ask them to, re to write out all their finances, their income, their, what, their bills they have, and we help them set up a budget and set up uh, all their finances. And, and some couples don't, haven't wanted to do that. You know, I wouldn't marry a couple if they wouldn't do that. That sounds really harsh, doesn't it? You know why? Because I know how destructive their financial decisions can be to their marriage if they don't agree on those things. They need to agree. They need to come together in the area of money. So the love of money has pierced many through with sorrows. Now in verse 17, if you'll skip down with me, actually verse 17 and 18, it talks now for a minute to people who are rich. Now before you think of somebody that's rich, Okay, before you think of somebody that's rich, think of yourself, okay? Because compared to other countries in the world and the rest of the world's population, if you live in the United States, you're in the top 3% of the wealthiest in the world. Did you know that? Just by living here. Don't compare yourself to other Americans or other people you know. Just compare yourself to the world, which God looks upon. We would all be considered rich, amen? Do you know that? Or have you been anywhere? It's true, we are the wealthiest of the world. So these commands to the rich are to all of us. Don't think of this for somebody else. Verse 17, command those who are rich. He says, command them, tell them these things if they're rich in this present age. First of all, do not be haughty. That means do not be proud or arrogant or high-minded. In other words, don't think too highly of yourself. Don't think you're rich because of who you are. Because you're smart or you work hard or you're diligent or whatever the case may be don't be haughty Proverbs says that riches is a high wall he uses this analogy he says your riches are like a high wall it, it makes you impenetrable people can't get to you a lot of people who are very wealthy don't have a lot of friends a lot of people who are very wealthy uh, people don't feel like they can approach them people don't feel like they can talk to them and sometimes that's self-assumed by other people, but sometimes it's because we may come across as proud or arrogant. So verse 17, do not be haughty if you're rich. Second, it says, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. Do not trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. The word trust is faith. Don't put your faith in money. It's easy if your bank account's growing a little bit and you got a little bit of money to, to just kind of feel like everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be all right. And because you got a little money in the bank or a little money saved up. That don't mean anything, does it? It don't. If sickness hits, it don't matter how much money you've got saved. If marriage is on the verge of separation, it don't matter how much money you've got saved. How big a bank account you have and he says don't put your hope your faith in uncertain riches but in the living God we must feel secure based on our relationship with God not based on our bank account we must feel secure and and confident about life and going forward in life because I know God will never leave me or forsake me because I know Jesus is my Savior and he's Wash my sins away, and I still need him to keep washing and keep on washing my sins away. And so your confidence in living, your confidence even in interacting with other people and even in the business world must come from the living God, not because you got some money in a checking account somewhere or some savings somewhere. 
I'm going to go into application now. I got a bunch of points in application. These are starting in verse, uh, right here in our context in verse 17 and 18, but then I'm going to move on to some other biblical principles about money. So, first point in understanding money and application is that God gives us everything we have. Look at verse 17 again. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. Don't miss this last phrase. It's, it's so important. Look at the last phrase of 17. Who gives us richly all things to enjoy. In other words, God gives us everything that we have. It says he gives it to us richly. God is rich. God owns everything. And anything you have comes from God. And so if you're going to be a giver, if you're going to be generous, the, the, the one thing you've got to know, if you're going to be a giver and you're going to be generous, the one thing you've got to know is everything you have belonged to God and came from God. You have to know that. Let me give you some verses. First Chronicles 29, verse 14. But who am I and who am our people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. And so here's what the Israelites are saying. Everything we have came from you, and everything we're giving to you came from you. <laughs> it's like we're giving back to you what you already gave to me. When you give at church or you give something away, you're giving back what... God already gave you. Psalms 104, verse 13 and 14. He waters the hills from the upper chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your works. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the service of man that he may, may bring forth food from the earth. Everything comes from God. In the society we live in today, that is hard to recognize that everything comes from God. But in a, an agrarian society where all the people were farmers, which is the Bible days, everybody was a farmer in Bible days. And, and as a farmer, you knew that you didn't have anything unless you had the direct intervention of God. In other words, if you plant a crop, you could work as hard as you want to work. You can put as much seed in the ground as you want to put in the ground. If God don't send the rain and God don't bless that seed, you get no crop. So even though you're a farmer and you work really hard, you knew everything I've got here came from God. Does that make sense? Even with your animals, you can do all you want to feed your animals and take care of your animals, but if those cows don't have baby cows, you got no new cows, you got no meat to eat. And so there was this constant awareness as a farmer that everything I have is at, is at the hand of God. It's at the direct intervention of God. I'm going to give you three areas they would have known that, that what they had came from God if you were a farmer. Number one, their finances. Just like we just said, if, if you had 100 acres and you planted that 100 acres in corn, did you know that from one year to the next, it could produce a lot less or a lot more? Are you aware of that? And so what, what you learn from that is when God blesses me and, and multiplies that corn to produce way more, I'm so aware that this crop is not dependent on me or how hard I work or how strong my ox is or how straight my rows are. It is dependent on the hand of God. So all of the finances, that all their wealth would have been secure only in the intervention from God. 
As a farmer, they would have also known that their food was only supplied by God because what they ate came from the farm. If the, if the crops didn't grow, if the animals didn't produce, they'd have no food to eat. Literally, the food on their table didn't come from a grocery store. It came from the direct intervention of the hand of God. And the third one is their worship. Their worship in the Old Testament, the sacrificial system, also came from the, the farm, which means if they were going to go and offer an offering to God, it came from the first 10% of their crops. The, the first 10% of all that corn that grew on that 100 acres, they would have put it in a wagon, took it up to the temple of the Lord, and presented it as a sacrifice to God. Also, those animals that were born, all those new animals that were born this year, if they had 10 cows born, uh, they would give 10% of that. One of those would be their sacrifice to the Lord. And so even in their worship, even their sacrificial spiritual service to God, their farm was an, an example of the, the necessity of the direct intervention of God. And so I want to just say to you today, no matter what your occupation is, you need to know this. God gives you the health if you work hard. God gave you the mind if you know how to invest or you know how to make good, good decisions. For some of you, God gave you hardworking parents who then broke, brought you up and taught you how to work hard, maybe even helped you have a business to, to work in. I mean, you have the health to work it, the ability to work it, the mind to do it, and God gave you all those, and one of those could be gone in an instant. It is of the direct intervention of God. Why did God, ever ask this question, why did God give you that knowledge, those resources, those abilities, that capability to work? For some reason, he chose to bless you. Why did God let you be born in the United States, not in some foreign country where there's poverty, where there's hunger? You think about these things? It is all that's going on in your life. All these things are directly the intervention of God. Everything you have comes from God. And so he goes on in verse 18. Because he gives to us richly all things, let us do good. Do good. This has to do with doing good works, especially good works for others. Ephesians 4.28 says, He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands so that he may have something to share with those in need. I read a statistic this week that says we have more men in the United States not working today in the history of our country. There's a new word for them. I can't remember what it stands for. It's NILF, N-I-L-F. forgot what it stands for. Don't even ask. But we've made up a word for it because there's so many men in our country we're not working right now. Notice what it says in Ephesians 4.28. It says, they must work useful with their hands. Why? Look at the end of it. So they have something to share with those in need. God is not prospering you to raise your standard of living. He's pros prospering you to raise your standard of giving. You ever think like that? That's what that verse says. So that they have something to share with those in need. They must work. And so you got more and more work. You're making more and more money. Why? Why? Because God is prospering my standard of living. No. God is prospering your standard of giving. If you can keep your standard of living the same as it is from, from when you were much younger and had much less, and as your income increased, you would increase your standard of, standard of giving, 
we would be much more giving. It goes on, verse 18. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works. Rich in good works. This is a different word than the first good. It has to do with helping people here. Uh, let me read to you 1 Timothy 5.10 that talks to widows. It says, uh, it's, it's a, this is a requirement to be considered a widow by the church. Well reported for good works. If she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. Notice the thing in common with all these different statements about a widow. The, the thing in common is people. Look, she's brought up children, so she's worked good with her children. She's lodged strangers. She's welcomed her home, shown hospitality. She's washed people's feet. She's relieved people who are hurting or, or afflicted. So all these have to do with, with helping people. It's a very strong biblical principle. If you've never heard it, you need to own it. Men, uh, we need to teach this to our families and our children. If you're around my house, you would often hear me say this. People are more important than money. We need to hold on to that. It's a biblical principle. People are more important than money. You don't know how many times I'm called in on a counseling situation where uh, a family is divided. Family members have turned on each other because of money some financial disagreement. And so for that reason, don't borrow money from family, don't do things with family that could cause hardship, right? Because people are more important than money. You'd be better off to do without the money than lose that relationship. All right, now I'm going to move on just to some biblical principles I'm sorry, I got one more. Verse 18. Ready to give, willing to share. Two more. Ready to give. Look at that one first. That means you're prepared to distribute what God has given you. Galatians 16. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So what he's saying here is, as you have opportunity, do good to everybody, help anybody, but especially those of your church. That's what he's saying. Especially people inside the church. Help them. Uh, inside your faith family. Help them. But do good to all. And so when this be ready means if you're going to be the giver. We'll just kind of break this down nuts and bolts right here. Then today I would ask you to decide. I'm going to be a giver. I know everything I have came from God. And so. I'm going to be a giver. And so if you decide you're going to be a giver, then as you go through life, you've got to make certain decisions that help you be a giver. I'll give you an example. The new beggar issue, right? Beggars are everywhere now. It wasn't so, so many few years back. Especially if you go to Raleigh now, there's a beggar at every intersection. Sometimes there's three. You know, one covering every corner. And so what are you going to do? You have to be ready. We don't give money. We don't, first of all, we don't believe all those people are really in need. Y'all with me? But some might be. Right? So you have to do something that if it's a drug addict or something like that, you're not encouraging their habit. We don't give cash. We don't give money away. Uh, what we like to have in our truck to give out? Little Debbie's. Man, if you've got a little Debbie and you're hungry... 
If I'm hungry, bring me a little Debbie, okay? That's what, I, I can't give out ice cream because it's usually hot out there on the corner. So I give out little Debbies. Have something in your car. Be ready. Have a plan if you're going to be a giver. Um, I remember when I first really put this into, my pra into the practice of my family. I had little children at the time. Chris's granddad, Bill Walton, was alive, and I learned this principle from him. Everybody that came to his house, he'd already always give them something before they left. And so, uh, you know, I started thinking, what can I give? So we give out meat. That's what we have. We have organic, grass-fed, Angus beef. <laughs> yeah, so if you want some meat, come see me. And we, if you eat with us, I give you meat, usually, when you leave. If I don't, you call me on it and say, you said you give me meat. Where's, the, where's it at? Uh, if, a lot of times, if somebody works at our house, when they leave, we give them meat. Um, one time in particular, we had a man come out on Thanksgiving Day to fix our power, I believe it was. We, our power was out. We didn't expect to even see anybody. This guy comes and works on Thanksgiving morning, fixing our power. And Cindy, I remember, she, she brought the whole cake to me, like... The whole thing hadn't even been cut. He said, give that to him. Give this to him. I'm like, okay, he's going to like this. And I took the whole cake out there to him. He said, you, you've sacrificed your time on Thanksgiving. Here's a cake. And so men, make a plan. Decide you're going to be a giver and be ready to give. And then the last thing it says in verse 19 or 18 is willing to share. Willing to share means that you have eyes. The Bible talks a lot about having eyes to see people who are needy. You've got to be almost looking for it, looking around for opportunities. I don't know about you, but in this day we live in, a, in our country, it's hard to find somebody that you really know that's a need, you know, and, and I can help with that need. Are you all with me on that? That's kind of hard to find, isn't it? I'm, I'm going to tell you. The most needy people in our country today, if you just want a quick answer, is the elderly. The elderly people who are living on Social Security, they don't have, you know, years ago, retirement wasn't an issue like things from your workplace. It was just Social Security. That's poor people in our country today. A lot of them are the elderly. But you have to have eyes to see. 1 John 3.17 says, if anyone has material possession and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? So if you, if you see your brother has need and you don't think, how can I help him? He says, how can you even love God if that's the person you are? In Proverbs 22, verse 9, he who has a generous eye will be blessed for he gives bread to the poor. So again, he's talking about your eye. See people who need food and feed them. And in Proverbs 28, verse 27, He who gives to the poor will not lack, but he who hides his eyes will have many curses. Don't, don't hide your eyes. Ask God to open your eyes. A lot of times when I start my day, I pray, Lord, help me to have eyes to see today. Help me to see people who have need, people who are hurting, and then help me to follow through when I see them. All right, now some biblical principles on giving. Number one, give willingly or do not give at all. Give willingly or do not give at all. If you ever wonder why are our offering baskets up here for our church, if you didn't know that, this is our offering basket. If you didn't know that, uh, some people may not. But uh, 
when we started, you know, you, you started right here and you pass it down and they pass it around. And if you've been into some real uh, more old school churches, there's a man who stands on each end because he's going to help you. He's like, he's standing there. You know, just hold that. He's just watching over you. you know, you're supposed to pass it down. The guy down there get it and he'll move it to the next one. He's going to make sure. We don't want you to miss out on this. So don't, don't, don't miss out on that offering, and that's that's what a lot of churches still do. And so we decided early in our beginnings as a church, we're going to set them down here because if you're not going to give willingly, we don't want you to give at all because that's a biblical principle. Exodus chapter 25 verse 2 says, Speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. So if he gives it willingly with his heart, you're to take it. If he's not giving it willingly, you're not to take it. And so there have been occasions where people come to our church and they'll say, I want to give you this amount of money. I want to give you this $2,000, but here's what I want you to do with it. I want you to put my mama's name on the piano, you know, this, 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 this piano right here, I think my mama's name would look good on there. Here's $2,000. And so we decided early on that I don't think that's too willingly. That's like they're purchasing this piano for their mama, but they're not giving it to her. They want us to hold it, but put her name on it. I don't even understand all that. And so we would say, no, thank you. And we would turn, you believe this? We're a church. Turn money away. Like, no, thank you. Don't give it. It's not willing. Second Corinthians chapter 9, look at this one. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality which causes thanksgiving through us to God. So he's saying everything that you give is, is thanksgiving to God. Do you ever think about it like this? When you give to somebody else, you, you feel good, don't you? Be honest. You feel good when you give to somebody else. But you know what that person's doing? They're going home. If they really need it, they're going home, and they're thanking the living God. That's what they're doing. They're saying, thank you, God, that you knew I needed that, and you put it on Eric to bring me that. Thank you, God. God, in their mind, God's getting all the glory. And so that's why he says, don't do it grudgingly or of necessity, but do it willingly or don't do it at all. Second one, give secretly. Uh, give secretly, not to be seen by men, but secretly. Matthew 6, 1 through 4. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory from men. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. But you, 
when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. You are a giving church, and I know many times, many of you will give money through me to somebody else. They'll say, take this to that family, give it to them, don't tell them where it came from. And I, I'm very willing to participate in that. I actually get a lot of joy out of it to see their face. I wish sometimes you could see their face or their reaction. And uh, that goes on a lot in this church. Give secretly. It's a great thing. Next. Just try giving or prove, prove God. Here's, here's one of the things that the Bible teaches where God is not normally like this. This is, not his, this is not the character we normally see of God. But God says, in this area of giving, just try <laughs> and, and see what I do. It's like, he, he, he like dares you. Just try to give some money and you watch what I do. Listen to these verses. Malachi chapter 3. Will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? And he says, in tithes and offerings. And so you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Now he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And so now try me in this, God says, says the Lord of hosts. And see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. He says, test me in this. King James says, test me. Try me in this and see if I, the Lord of hosts, will not open windows in heaven, picture this in your mind, and pour out so much out of heaven onto you that you don't have room to receive it. In, in farmer terms, this means your, bob, your barn won't be big enough to hold all the produce that you would gather in. Your barn won't be, be big enough to hold all the animals that God would give you in, in blessing you. He says, just test me in this. See what happens. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of your increase, so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Again, he's saying, just try it. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, it will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. And so in this context, he's saying give, and it's going to be given back to you. But in your sense, it's going to be like it's been pressed down, shaken together. So there's more. It's, it's the point. There's going to be even more abounding to you when you are a giver. So if you're here today and you haven't yet decided to be a giver, I'm not saying this. God's saying this. Just try it. Just try and see what God does when you give. The next one. Relocate your treasures. Relocate your treasures. Matthew chapter 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Think of the wild thing he's saying here. He's not saying don't store treasures or gather treasures. He's saying 
relocate where you're storing them. Stop storing them on earth where moths destroy and rust destroys and start storing your treasures in heaven where they'll last for all eternity. So relocate your treasure. Why is this a big deal? This is why as a pastor today, I've never experienced more people being scared of dying in my, my history as a pastor. I've been a pastor over 30 years now. I've never experienced more people scared of die, dying than I have today. And if you say, why? Why are they so scared of dying? Here's, here's the reason. Today we have more wealth than we've ever had before. And so people today, when they're going to heaven, they're scared of losing all the stuff they've acquired on this earth. And so they're, they're scared, of, scared of losing their treasures they've gathered. But if you have a view of storing up treasures in heaven, you wouldn't be afraid of losing treasures. You'd be looking forward to getting treasures. Do you see the difference? And so they're moving, a, a person of faith like this is moving towards their treasures. I'm about to die. I'm about to be rich. <laughs> I'm about to die. I'm going to have more than I've ever had before. Why? Because I've been faithful. I've been godly. I've been content on this earth. And I know that God has relocated my treasures in heaven and not on this earth. The next one. Give as unto God. Give as unto God. Matthew chapter 25. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you, for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry. Notice how God personifies this. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. He personifies all these things you've done as a giver as if you were doing it literally for him, for the King of kings and Lord of lords. Why is this important? Because if you're a giver, you're going to get hurt in giving. Do you know that? If you're a giver, you're going to get hurt by giving. Here's how. You give to somebody... And you give sacrificially, and then, and then this is going to happen. They're going to go spend that money on something you wouldn't even spend that money on. Right? That's what's going to happen. And then you're going to be like, we shouldn't even be giving at all. You're right? That's what's going to happen. You're going to get hurt. You're going to give to somebody on the side of the road or something, and, and you're going to see them go do something foolish with it. You could even, it could even happen in the church. You could give to somebody in the church family, and they go and they, they don't spend it the way you would spend it. Or, or even worse, you give them money sacrificially and then a month later, you know, they wear a new suit to church. I don't know, you know, not here, but somewhere in the church. They, they, or they, they come in, in in a new car. You're like, I just gave them all that money. Look, you bought a new car. You didn't give them that much. But you gave them something and now look what they've done. So you feel like you shouldn't have given that's why you cannot give it as unto them. You have to give it as unto God. You have to follow the leadership of God. And when you give it or you do it, you have to do it as unto the Lord. And why is that a big deal? Because that's the way God views it. That's what he's saying in these verses. You gave me drink. You took me in when I was a stranger. You clothed me. You visited me when I was sick. God views it as you doing it as to him. So you must view it. As you do it 
unto him. Proverbs 19. He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord and he will pay back what he has given. He, he so personifies it here. He says, if you help a poor person, it's like you're helping, this is God saying, it's like you're helping me and I'll pay you back. <laughs> that's pretty good, isn't it? You help a poor person, God says, that's like you helped me and, I, and I'm going to pay you back for everything that you've given to me. God has blessed our church. I'm, uh, I'm amazed at how generous you already are. But that don't mean we're finished, does it? I talked to so many churches during COVID who literally went under financially through, through COVID. I talked to another pastor this past week. During COVID, they lost everything because they had so much debt and, and they weren't having church. So money wasn't coming in and everything just fell apart. God has blessed our church. God has blessed our families. God has blessed you. God has blessed me. And I don't know about you, but if I want to be real as a Christian, there's no better place that this world is going to notice the work of God in your life than in your finances. Do you know that? If you are godly in your finances, the world will say, hey, there's something different about that person and how they handle their money. I want to be that kind of person. I hope you do. Let's stand together. Would you pray with me? I want you to pray with me. A prayer about our money. We're going to start by thanking God with an awareness that everything we have comes from Him. Would you do that? Lord, we thank you for everything you have given us. Everything we have is a direct intervention of your hand. You have given us our health. You have given us our family. You have given us our finances. You have given us our homes. You have given us the things we wear, the things we drive, the things we eat. You have given us everything that we have, Lord. It's all from your hand. And we give you thanks for it today, and we give you glory for it today. And then, Father, we want to be givers. We want to give as unto you and to be the kind of people that would represent you well in this world in the way that we handle our money. Father, would you help us to be able to see needs, to know when somebody has a need that we can get involved in and help us to be faithful to give immediately, secretly, as unto you. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for what you've done in, in them already in the area of giving. I pray, Lord, that we would be a blessing to each other and a blessing to this community. Lord, teach us as Lighthouse Church how to give in this community and how to give to those who would even just show up here one Sunday, that we would bless them in amazing ways and in ways that are not normal things that even only God could lay on our hearts to do. Lord, we know that the, the needy population around us is growing. We don't have beggars much in Lewisburg, but I've seen them a time or two here. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you'd have us to do in, in serving in these areas of people who are hungry. Lord, we know there's a, a need right here next to where we meet on Sundays. 
Help us to have people among us who would rise up and begin to lead us in giving and helping people in need who are around us. Lord, we don't just pray an empty prayer here, Father. We pray out of the depths of the riches of all that you've done for us. If we cannot help our brothers, where is the love of God even in our hearts? So I pray you would bless this church so that we can be a blessing to other people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.